coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. We're Z-targeting the ABCs of Nintendo 64, part two. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined as I am always joined by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. You know, Patrick, a uh, couple of weeks ago at this point, I got a couple of moles removed from mm-hmm, the back of my mm-hmm. neck. Yes. So, but one thing I did not tell you is that I got that uh, when they... Did you get some added as well? <laughs> <laughs> Well, like like matter, you know, moles can never be created created or destroyed. (laughs) They just get either like transferred to you know like some other person. Sure. Um, No, they got cauterized. Oh, yeah, they like cauterized the wound, which they with a lightsaber. (laughs) I know that Patrick. That was (laughs) not with a lightsaber, but that was that was exactly my thought. I was like, oh, in a lot of ways, Luke Skywalker and I are alike. Yeah, you have a lot in common for sure, for sure, and. You know, I he lost a hand. You lost some moles. Uh huh. But both ca- the wounds were cauterized. Right. Uh, both of us had our missing limb slash mole replaced by mechanical limb slash yep, moles. Yeah, I was. Ge- I, I'm tr- really trying not to comment on the mechanical moles sticking out of the back. <laughs> They're of your loud. They, they are loud. I'm doing a lot of work in post production, so you don't hear the the cranking and like smoke sounds coming out of them. But what was really weird. Was you know uh, I was numb mm-hmm. from them doing the procedure, so the doctor was like, uh, "You won't feel this, but you'll smell it," and then, oh. <laughs> and then the torching and began, then he, and then he farted on you. <laughs> Mark, better than being farted on by your doctor, you can borrow my copy of Sonic Forces for the Nintendo Switch. All you got to do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Give us a mailing address so we can send you my my copy. This is my copy that I bought with my own money to play by myself uh, and then decided I didn't. I would, I would have more fun sending it around the country. Um, you can play it for as long as you want. Uh, you send it back. I pay for postage both ways, uh, and there's no trick to it. The one trick to it is that there may be a copy of Untitled Goose Game uh, in inside a Sonic Forces box, uh, but there's nothing to be done about that. It's a perfect borrowing program. You should get on the list. Here's another thing you can do is you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. We appreciate it so much. Patrick and I love reading your reviews. It really helps people find the show. It helps boost the signal of the show in the algorithm. Um, If you leave us a five-star review on the U.S. Apple Podcast Store, we can see it, and we'll give you a shout-out on the show as a thank you. But if you leave us a review anywhere else or you share the show in some other way, we still want to know. We still want to thank you. It's just harder for us to see it. So let us know. Send us an email. Hit us up on Twitter, um, and we will give you a shout-out on the show. Yeah, or you could let us know that you've done this uh, through our Discord, which Mark and I both are active participants in. Uh, oh, how do you get in the Discord, you ask? I'm so glad that you asked here in part two of our uh, Nintendo 64 ABCs. You just email us or shoot us a uh, message on Twitter and say, hey, I want to get, get into that thing. I want to get into that Discord. We send you an invite. You're in. You're talking about Splatoon. You're talking about whatever is going on in the world of Nintendo. Bunch of fun people there having great cool chill conversations about nintendo stuff yeah there's like a ring fit adventure that's right uh adventurers guild is yes, what we call it uh, yes. yeah it's amazing um yeah, we're all encouraging each other to get up early in the morning and play ring fit adventure um and have having a great time well you also don't it's like this well some of those sound like assignments like you have to spend a lot of time playing Splatoon. You got to spend time getting up early and playing Ring Fit Adventure. No way, man. It's all fun. It's all fun and supportive and great. Uh, it's a really good community. I'm so proud and so happy with the community that has formed over there. Uh, so get in. You'll have a great time. Mark, we stopped halfway through the ABCs of uh, Nintendo 64 last week, which means now we have to start again and finish the ABCs of the Nintendo 64. Now we we stopped right after M, and I think we 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 
put like a couple different entries in for M, including Mario 64, which I don't think either of us were like prepared to talk about as a, as a game. But Mark, that's ancient history now, because the new letter that we start on is N, and I would like to begin, uh, as I believe you kicked off uh, the, the last episode. Um, for me, N numbers, man, every title of a Nintendo 64 game has a number in it. Usually that number is 64. <laughs> um, but let me just, I, is, is it all, is it all right if I read off uh, like a, just a list of games that have numbers in them? Yeah, please. Super Mario 64, Mario Kart 64, Star Fox 64, Wave Race 64, Pilot Wing 64, Excite Bike 64, Donkey Kong 64, Kirby 64, Crystal Shards, Quest 64, Doom 64, Mega Man 64, Harvest Moon 64, Starcraft 64, Ogre Battle 64, and then of course 1080 Snowboarding, GoldenEye 007, and double, of course, Clay Fighter 63 and a third. Oh, man. People were just crazy about having 64 bits of memory or graphics or whatever to deal with. No one even know, knows what <laughs> yeah, it means. I know. It's so cr- uh what a feat of marketing. Well, yes, truly, a, like a, an astonishing feat of marketing. Um I I feel like some Nintendo consoles they hit on this naming scheme that allows them it it's like an easy out for naming a game, right? right. You got that with uh, the Super, Super Nintendo. Yeah. Um, you got that with the Nintendo 64, and then you got that with the Wii. Uh, well, you know, like in, everything in was way? like Wii Sports, Wii, you know, fitness, Wii. Oh, sure, but like I, you, you couldn't have like a Castlevania Wii or like a Harvest Moon Wii. Oh yeah, that's true. When they did pu- Punch Out, it wasn't like Punch Out Wii. Right, it was just Punch Out. Wii Wait. Punch Out. Right. Yes. Um. But the uh um Game Boy Advance also uh was was another one where like a lot of games just got Advance uh tacked on the end of them um but yeah we haven't had one of those in, in kind of a while i take it back i think the 3ds actually has a, a, a fair number oh of yeah whatever and ds 3D. for sure for ds for sure okay so we've gotten a, a few of these um but it's just so funny that 64 is the thing that uh w- people latched onto. my n is for not because the nintendo 64 is the only nintendo home console where you could not play the original super mario brothers Huh. The only just just home home console, right? The only one where you cannot play the original Super Mario Brothers. Well, because there are handhelds right. where you can't play the original Super Mario Brothers. Game Boy, Game Boy for one, um, Nintendo DS probably for another. I can't remember. Like, oh yeah, it's a good point. I don't like, think well, it got released on DSi. But you could play the uh, the GBA cart on it on the DS. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, uh, yeah, the only home console, because on GameCube, you could play it in, technically, in, like, the Animal Crossing arcade. Oh, yeah. But, and, you know, I know that this is true for Super Mario Brothers, but it has to also be true for Super Mario Brothers 2 and Super Mario Brothers 3, right? There's no... Well, can But I you, don't know that for sure. Can you play Super Mario Brothers 3 in Animal Crossing mm-hmm. on GameCube? Oh, maybe that. Maybe Maybe, maybe that. that's why. Because yeah. I, I think you cannot play them on the Nintendo 64, but that's maybe why what makes right. Super Mario Brothers so unique is that it didn't, yeah. Let me, how, how did you encounter this information? Because this this feels very specific. Well, because I was trying to think, when we were going through yeah. this, I was trying to think of, like, um, obviously when we're doing these ABCs, like, just makes sense to talk about Mario. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking about. It's like, oh, wait, actually, I don't know, like... I had to go. I had to Google it to confirm. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, oh, I. Yeah. So this is a, is like no a way. this is like a Mark Mitchell original discovery that this is the only system that you cannot play. Well, the I would say Super it was Mario a discovery Brothers. for myself when I Googled, "Can you play I Super think, Mario Brothers I think on a Nintendo Mark 64? discovered this. I think <laughs> I think you're a pioneer. But yeah, just kind of a weird fluke of history hmm. is that, um, yeah, you just could not play, which. Can you imagine trying to play Super Mario Brothers on with like the Nintendo sixty four controller? Yeah, it'd be super easy. You would just you would just hold it, hold it on the two ends of the trident. <laughs> the, this is this is what I call the Mortal Kombat grip. Mm, um, mm-hmm. In Mortal Kombat trilogy, you would hold it uh, with uh, on on the extreme left and on the extreme right, and just use the D pad. Just be a very wide. Yeah, just a very wide stance. A wide stance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, just a strange fluke of history. My O. Oh, 
mm-hmm. is for Ocarina of Time, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. So my O is just Ocarina, but uh, please, uh, d- d- let's let's talk about the Ocarina of Time. Well, just because, you know, at the end of last episode, even though it wasn't one of our official M's, we talked about Mario 64 and what like a seismic event that was in gaming. I feel like Ocarina of Time is another one of those, you know, uh, for as kind of weird and scrappy as the Nintendo 64's library is overall, these two games are yeah. so, like, momentous in what they achieved. Like, you know, uh, Mario 64 was kind of the first 3D platformer that really... I don't know if it is the first or if it's just, like, the first that... It's, like, like the first it, one that feels that good. That mattered. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Ocarina of Time, again, they invented z targeting for it yeah like you know which is something like locking on to an enemy is something that we take for granted in 3d games now but something that originated in ocarina of time that's not to even mention you know how it set the template for zelda games for another what 15 20 years yeah well and like it effectively invented a genre of like another genre of game within the greater umbrella of the legend of zelda um, yeah, I mean, o- Ocarina of Time is a is a, a remarkable achievement, um, both in what it like pioneered and just in like the size of the game. Um, the the fact that you play, you know, for however long you play the those first three dungeons, and uh, you know, like you feel as though you've experienced a world, and then you time travel, and there's like three times as much game after that. Like it's it it it's a it's a truly remarkable piece of uh video game entertainment for sure. That is still fun to play today. Yeah. Um. So my my O is just referring to the ocarina in the Ocarina of Time and in Majora's Mask. Um, And, you know, uh, uh, of all the things that um, Ocarina of Time introduced to the Zelda franchise um, in that sort of like 3D style, the concept of a playable instrument that you are playing with the buttons on a controller uh, is so unique and cool and you know it has a gameplay mechanic uh that like a necessary one that you have to engage with a bunch where you're memorizing these songs um and you know back in the day when there wasn't just like the menu to pull up the song like you had to like learn these things right um that that's never been replicated in 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 an effective way or in like as compelling a way yeah the wind waker you have to like choose which direction you're going in 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 time and uh in twilight princess you're like howling uh as as the wolf and you have to like control that but like there's just no freedom like the five buttons of the ocarina and then the two buttons to uh uh, bend the pitch you can play actual you can play actual melodies with the ocarina like it's just so cool they made an instrument you can play it also just felt like you know with later Zelda games because again this is another thing that existed that they would replicate up through Skyward Sword it just kind of felt like uh checking a box almost yeah where they were like well it you know we established this in Ocarina of Time and so every Zelda game needs to have this sort of element whereas maybe just because Ocarina did it first but it feels more like part of that game yeah versus some of the other ones where you're just like well I'm you're this exists because it exists in Ocarina of Time. Right. Well, and like it's also cool to see um, the Ocarina mechanics come back identically in Majora's Mask. That they're like, no, that's the part that we nailed 100%. Don't tweak it at all. <laughs> the 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 Ocarina is perfect. Um. All right, Mark. My P is for Pokemon spinoffs because what a weird little collection of Pokemon spinoffs that came out on the Nintendo 64. Uh, Nintendo 64, obviously, uh, caught in this wave of uh, Game Boy's sudden uh, popularity because of Pokemon, right? Um, And, you know, they dare not make, like, a mainline Pokemon game. Um, Like, I, I don't know how they knew, like, from... From the jump that they were like, no, it you can't put like a regular role playing game, uh, where you're like going to towns and the catching monsters and like you can't do that on a home console. That has to be relegated to the Game Boy, um, and so the the games that came out, uh, he, here they are, uh, all bangers: Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Puzzle League, Pokemon Stadium One and Two, and Hey You Pikachu. Okay, I said they're all bangers, but Hey You Pikachu is on there, um crazy to think that most of these are going to be out on the 
uh, Nintendo 64's Switch Online with the, of course, sole exception of Hey You Pikachu, because that's a game where you were like speaking to the Pikachu. It could like hear um, uh, like 20 something phrases. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, just like a, a neat little place where they were putting Pokemon spinoff games. Yeah, I mean, I you know, you said that they intuited that, hey, it doesn't make sense to put like a full like Pokemon game on the Nintendo 64. I think also they just couldn't. Like, think of the amount uh, of, yeah, like, interesting. characters they would have to render. You know, like, a, a game like that does not exist on the Nintendo 64. I think it's just technically too challenging. But you're right. They were caught up in this, Well, but, like, like, you could do it if you just, like, kept to the, like, Game Boy aesthetics. Obviously not black and white, but just, like, sprites. Like, you could you could do that. But on... that, that doesn't exist on the Nintendo 64. I know, I like know. Like, that, you know, like, kind of, the closest you get is kind of this... 2.5D yeah. stuff like they did with uh, Yoshi and Kirby. Uh, yeah, or like Mario, uh, uh, Paper Mario. Right, yeah. And so, uh, but you're right that it got caught up in such like this wave of Pokemon mania that, that they, they had to like had find to ways up. to make it work. Um, and uh, I, I don't have another uh, place in, in this list to talk about the... Um, the 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 Game Boy pack that slapped into the back of the the cartridge that allowed you to bring your Pokemon into Pokemon uh, Stadium, um, which it, crazy to me that like they're re-releasing those games without the ability to import um, Pokemon from like a, another place. I get why, but it's also like, what's the point of having this game? It feels like such a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just to like, oh, you can see your Charizard uh, on on the field like stomping around. So. Um, yeah, weird, cool games. My P is for partners in Mario Tennis 64. And two, I would say, notable ones. So first, of course, uh, Mario Tennis 64 is where Waluigi comes from because they needed a partners, like a double partners for Wario. And so Waluigi was born. But also, we can thank uh, Mario Tennis 64 for bringing back Princess Daisy who had pretty much been absent from games since Super Mario Land. But, uh, you know, Luigi needed a partner like Mario had Princess Peach. And thus, Princess Daisy was brought back into continuity and has forever been a part of the Mario franchise since. Uh, yeah, which is nice. It's it's good to have... I mean, Waluigi is a character I struggle with. Um, but yeah, it's it's great to have uh, Daisy around and in, in, in stuff again. Because she, uh, what, originally appears in Super Mario Land... Right. Right, and Mario is rescuing her. Uh-huh. Um, also, the name of that tennis game, I believe, is just Mario, Mario tennis. tennis. Yeah. Because um, I, I was like, we can add that to my list oh, of right. Uh, That's right. games that have uh, 64, but no, yeah. it, it, it's just called Mario Tennis. Um, yeah, partners. That, that's, that's good, Mark. So, Mike, I'll go with Q now. And my Q is for Quest 64, um, a game... This is also my pick. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you have played this game is that right i owned this game okay mark let me tell you about the struggle of the jrpg fan who bought the nintendo 64 to play final fantasy 7 which never came to the platform anything that even remotely resembled an rpg i was excited about um and i would say that quest 64 resembles an rpg (laughs) Um, but it is so, it has such a simple story and it is so like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just not good. Uh, like in, in any way that it could have, um, succeeded in like filled that niche, like it was just too, it was too kind of like kitty and too simplified. Not that it was easy, but it was just like, it didn't feel like Final Fantasy. It didn't feel like Dragon Quest. The designs are ugly. The music is bad. Um, yeah, I really don't have anything good to say about Quest 64. Yeah, I feel like Quest 64, there, I've never played it. The reason I have it on my list is because I think it's notable for how few JRPGs or RPGs in general right. are on the Nintendo 64, especially in America. I think there's like five at most. Yeah, like and pa- Paper Mario Paper is Mario, one of them. Uh, uh, Ogre Battle 64 is another one. Um, but yeah, there's just there just aren't many. Which is such... Again, I think part of it is like the technical limitations of the Nintendo 64. And, um, but what like whiplash for people like yourself who were used to like the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo were such 
RPG havens, you know? It's- yeah, sort of. I, the, the NES, not really, right? Like, there's the original Final Fantasy and, I guess, four Dragon Quest games. Um, but, like, outside of those, like, are, are there too many other? Are, I guess there, there probably are out there, just not games I'm super familiar with. And I think a lot of them are really bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, especially, like, the Super Nintendo. And so going from that to the Nintendo 64, it was a huge part of, like, that library. Yeah, that, that just evaporated. Yeah. Um, and it's like quest 64 looks like as you're running around, like it has so much the same perspective and like sort of topography as, uh, Mario 64 and Ocarina of time. So like, and you know, when, when you're running around in an environment like that, you can't help but like think of those games and just be disappointed by how much worse quest is than, uh, either of those. Um, there was a quest game that came out on, Maybe Game Boy Color, maybe Game Boy Advance. I don't remember. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just crazy that they like put out two of these things that were like, Quest, it's a series. <laughs> um, and uh, now it's just gone forever. Yep. Um, okay, I'll, I'll go next. Uh, R, mark my R, is going to be the Rumble Pack. Um, a really enormous piece of hardware that uh, slammed into the back of your Nintendo 64 controller when you didn't have a, a memory card in there um, that provided the first sort of uh, physical feedback um, in the form of vibrations. Um, it came packed in with the with Star Fox 64 and was touted uh, by Nintendo as like the thing that'll make you feel like you're in the game. Um, I loved the Rumble Pack uh, as a kid. I was excited anytime it got uh, any sort of functionality with uh, other games outside of uh, Star Fox. Um, um, uh, the Ocarina of Time uh, has a thing where it like vibrates when you're near a secret. Um, it's very, I mean, it's it, it is cool. It's another way in which. Um, Nintendo was predicting the future of controllers. Uh, they did it once with the analog stick, and then they were doing it again with uh, the sort of feedback, which is you know since then has been built into every controller. Yeah, without the Rumble Pack, we would never have HD Rumble and never be able to tell how many ice cubes are in that. We'd never be cup. able to tell how many ice cubes are in that cup. It's true. <laughs> but no, I mean Rumble. The Rumble Pack was a big deal. Like yeah. it seems you know, uh, silly now, but it was a really big deal. Like. And it was successful enough because you had to buy it separate. I mean, it came packed with some games, but uh, otherwise you had to buy it separately. And it was successful enough that at least in Japan, like Nintendo re-released Super Mario 64 to support the oh, Rumble. Wow. Pack. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. I wonder if you play. Um, does does the version that's on uh, Nintendo Switch Online does it have Rumble support? I don't know. I'm gonna try to turn on my Switch with the Nintendo 64 controller in my hand right now. It usually needs to be charged, uh, so it might not work. <laughs> well, while you're doing that, that's such a great pick for R. I'm, I will do my R, which is Rare, the developer. Um, we have talked about them a bunch uh, on the life of this show, but in part one of the ABCs of the Nintendo 64, um, Rare, was they had been developing you know, for Nintendo since the... or publishing games on the Nintendo console since the Nintendo Entertainment System, but really became a part of the Never Nintendo family. Battle Never, Never forget Battletoads. Never forget Battletoads. But really it became a part of the Nintendo family. Never forget Anticipation. Is that <laughs> them? Was Anticipation them? During the Super Nintendo era. But I would say the the volume of work that they were doing during the Nintendo 64 era, they published 11 games for the, or for the, Nintendo, for the 64? Nintendo 64. Uh, they are Banjo Kazooie. Yep. Banjo Tooie. Wait, hold on. Let me see if I can name those. Okay. So yeah. Banjo Kazooie, Banjo Banjo Tooie, uh, Donkey Kong sixty four, uh, Diddy Kong Racing, Jet Force Gemini, uh, Perfect Dark, uh, James Bond, Goldeneye 007. Um, no, I stopped there. How- but one from last week, Killer Instinct Gold. Killer Instinct Gold. The yeah. one that I did not know is Mickey Speedway USA, like another Ooh, another cart cart racer, racer um, that was developed by Rare and published by Nintendo. Again, how is Rare getting these licenses? How are they working with James Bond and Mickey Mouse? Yeah, what's happening? But so yeah, just like a bumper crop of Rare games on the Nintendo sixty four, and then you get you know uh, Star Fox Adventure on the GameCube. AKA Dinosaur Planet. And but really that's kind of like the end of it after they burn 
brightly for yes. a very brief amount of time on Nintendo consoles and then uh, move on to Microsoft. Um, I was right. They did develop anticipation on the NES. So <laughs> I just, just wanted to circle back around to that. Um, uh, and that was very important to me. Uh, Mark, do you have an S locked and loaded and ready to talk about? Yes. Mine, in, we talk, you talked about a little bit uh, with number, but just 64 bits. <laughs> what does it mean? What does it mean? Because yeah. like a bit is what? Like the smallest unit of like something with computers it's like the ones and zeros yeah so my understanding as as it was applied to video game systems leading up to this point was it was part of the graphical presentation that in like a single square on the thing um there was like a grid that was for nes 8x8 and for the super nintendo 16x16 so it was like the amount of detail that you could fit on the screen graphically speaking oh but Come the Nintendo 64, it's not really doing sprites anymore. It's doing, like, polygons. So the bit count is irrelevant. But it mattered so much it as a kid. So when much. I was a kid, it was like, you know, like, that's how you measured the power of the console. So right, you had, course. like, 8-bit, and then, you know, when there were 32-bit systems, it's like, it was that... It was better than like the Super Nintendo right, and right. then the Nintendo 64 was the granddaddy of them all. And then after this era, bits completely stopped mattering. No, yeah, the 64 was the last time it mattered. But there was so much, like it really was, I called it before, a feat of marketing. And truly it was because none of us understood, right. or I certainly as a kid did not understand what a bit was, but I knew that more bits equaled better. So I, I went back and watched uh, an, uh, some like old news footage about, around the release of the Nintendo 64 um, and the reporter was saying that, you know, it had uh, 64 bits of memory or something, right? Um, and that's that's why people were excited about it and, you know, being like, and with good reason, because it has 64 bits of, like, it was the kind of thing where, like, everyone accepted that the, someone reporting the news um, uh, saying that, like, it's 64 bits and therefore it is better. It was important enough that Nintendo put it in the name of the console. Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely outrageous. Um, Mark, my S, I feel like we've talked about a fair amount already, um, but my S is Star Fox 64. You you had it at the beginning as, as R-Wing, um, but I, I guess I don't really know what else there is to say about um, Star Fox 64, um, other than it is a game that, uh, you know, ha ha has that arcadiness to it that, that I talked about last week, um, but it also has... The sort of like, there's like a completionist angle to it too that I, I don't know that I ever actually like cornered because there are multiple paths through a lot of those levels and um, it, there's a clear rate that you or like a, a number of enemies that you beat um, that if you get a high enough score then you get like a little medal that appears on on that level um, and some of them it is really really difficult to get that medal and the medal is persistent so it's not just for like an individual run um, so like you can have sort of long-term goals and reasons to like revisit to try and do all that and then on top of that there's the multiplayer component which like is just another reason to like get into dogfights and like play that game forever yeah and i don't want to overstate let's overstate it the 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 story in the game uh, mm -hmm. but it did have like a narrative and if you uh one that is, you know, like a very classic, uh, perfect for this sort of genre of like swashbuckling space adventure, mm -hmm. where it's about like fathers and sons. And, you know, like right. at the end, Fox's father's like ghost, like guides him out of an exploding I space. Mean, it's pretty you cool. Know, it's yeah. pretty good. It's pretty cool. Like yeah. it's, um, uh, it, it captures the, sp I, I feel like later Star Fox games, uh, they did not lean, they have not leaned into that sense of like pure adventure, right? In the way in that Star Fox 64 did. And is it kind of riffing on like you know, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and all that kind of stuff? Like, yeah, that's what Star Fox was built for is to yeah. like rip off those tropes and put them into a video game. Well, and also like have them acted out by like little animals <laughs> that look like marionettes. Like, yeah, what absolutely do that? Yeah. And so I just feel like you Star don't Fox need to write a new story. <laughs> Star Fox 64 is very successful in that way. Um, and I'm actually uh, going to talk about uh, Star Fox. No, you know what? I'm 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 gonna just uh, I'm gonna 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold, I'm gonna hold this t- till later. Okay. Um. So my tea. My tea is for Turok, the dinosaur hunter. Um, Turok, man, what a strange character. Long storied history. Um, in the comics, there have been uh, Turok comics since like 1950. Wait, something. really? I had yeah. no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he originated in, or he didn't originate in Valiant Comics, but he was eventually uh, like folded into the Valiant Comics universe. And then there was a while where, um, Valiant was owned by Acclaim, and Acclaim is uh, the publisher that put out Turok Dinosaur Hunter. Um, and it's one of the early, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, American-developed uh, Nintendo 64 games. Uh, I, I read somewhere that it was the first, but I, I can't I can't confirm that uh, or, or verify that. So strike it from the record, Mark. I didn't say it. Um, but Turok is a first-person shooter, sort of. Um, Turok does, in fact, get guns at some point. Um, but he's just—he's a, a, a Native American warrior who is made to fight <laughs> dinosaurs, um, and uh, he does. The game always gave me a terrible headache. Notorious for the amount of fog. Yes, in that so game. much fog. And something with um, uh, Nintendo sixty-four games in general. Yeah, is they didn't most of them didn't have a very far draw distance and so a lot of the worlds in very nintendo foggy. 64 games very were very foggy. foggy to try to like obscure the fact that they couldn't draw very far out um they made three of these games on the nintendo 64 three turok games wow isn't that is surprising that there's like so much turok content out I, there i feel like the turok i feel like turok has or at least the first one has a fairly good reputation uh yeah i mean i i remember uh early on um getting the like level skip codes and uh like infinite ammo um cheats and stuff like that uh and just like was kind of sampling my way through the game because it was just too it was too difficult and you know it was a first person shooter using nintendo 64 controls so like how well could i have been controlling that anyway right and like i said it always gave me a headache um so yeah i, I didn't play the game much but like there's something something evocative and weird and cool about it. It d- definitely, I mean, in the same way that um, the Capcom series Dino Crisis, yeah, you're like the just the idea of it is appealing. Like a yes, um, uh, in Dino Crisis's case, like a uh survival horror game that is with dinosaurs instead of zombies chasing yeah. you. Same thing with like Dinosaur Hunter, like. The name itself sells the game. I mean, here is a universal truth that remains true to this day. Not enough dinosaur video games. Uh, very true. Just put... Di- I, I, whatever you like else you think you're doing, we're, we're full up on zombie games. We don't need more <laughs> zombie games. Make those zombies dinosaurs, and it's instantly scarier. It's so true. That That is really interesting. I had no idea that Turok is a comic book character. Yeah, yeah. That's he's, really cool. He's been around a real long time, and they're still making them uh, today. Well, my T is somebody who should be a comic book character, and that is Tingle. Uh, Ah, Tingle. Mark, I can always count on you. (laughs) First appeared in The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. uh, Has since gone on to become an important part. (laughs) Didn't know how that sentence was going to (laughs) go. Of The Legend of Zelda series, at least in fans' hearts. Yes. You know, and we've talked about before how... Tingle went through, I would say, like a little, a rough patch where he was not appreciated as much as he could be, as he should be. And right. that and that deprived us of some Tingle games that were made for Nintendo consoles in Japan, but never released outside of Japan. Games where Tingle is seeking romance. Oh Can you believe gosh. that we were robbed of Tingle romance games? <sighs> but we live now in a world where I think Tingle gets the appreciation he deserves. And I don't know if officially he does, though. I feel like... We haven't gotten a Tingle game yet. No, Nintendo's still, I think, too scared. Yeah, but we're we're primed and ready. We're ready for like, give us Tingle. Yeah, like we'll support him this time. <laughs> It'll be different. I think it would. I think it would be. Um. So yeah, Tingle. Uh, you always have a place in our hearts. Tingle. I. What, I mean, what what can you say about him? Like he was. He, you meet. He's a cartographer who's like. Uh, He's he's being suspended by a balloon when you first meet him, right? Right, yeah. He has real dad issues. Real dad issues. His dad doesn't appreciate appreciate that he's like 37 and still lives at home. Uh-huh. Is that how old Tingle is? <laughs> I can't remember. 
<laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I love Tingle. And I know, I think like, you know, in some of those romance ga- games, he's uh, canonically straight. But in my heart, he's always bi curious. Yo, I think, I, I think, I think so. All those games do is just, uh, just not show us him dating uh, men. That, that's it. That's, that's how, right. We, we just don't see it. That's, that's right. My uh, moving on to you. My U is for Ultra, which was you know kind of like. So this is also my U. Yeah, which is kind we of got a little bit of overlap. U's are hard to do usually. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, let's let, let's let's talk about it here. This is the code name for the Nintendo sixty four, which I had never really. So in originally it was in Japan. It was going to be the Ultra Famicom mm. and the Nintendo Ultra sixty four. Like I, I remember, Japan. I remember hearing Nintendo Ultra sixty four, and even sort of like, this is where I, like I insisted on still calling it that, um, because like Ultra, that's that's so cool. Well, and I had never thought about it until I saw that it was called the Ultra Famicom because the yeah, progression then would just be the Famicom, the Super Famicom, yeah. and then the Ultra Famicom. That's it's so cool, which is very cool. Um, eventually, what if when they come out with the next version of the Switch, they call it the Ultra Switch? That would kind of be awesome. That would be so rad. Yeah. But eventually the Ultra code name would get dropped and it just became the Nintendo 64 worldwide. So that makes it I guess like the first yeah. uh, Nintendo home console that had the same name in Japan and outside of Japan. Yeah. Um uh which, you know, I mean it barely has a name, right? Nintendo 64. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. <laughs> so like you said so this obsession funny. with numbers. Um the uh the other thing, oh, man, the Nintendo Ultra 64, I'm sure that's what I thought the console was going to be called when I read in Nintendo Power that Final Fantasy VII was going to be released on the thing. Um, so, like, I don't know. I, In my mind, it's still tied up in the promise of what the machine never was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get a little salty about the uh, the, the Ultra 64 uh, naming convention for it there. But I, I feel like the, um, you know, the sort of, like, uh, dark clouds and lightning that like accompanied the the idea of the Nintendo 64 was still very present in the marketing of the Nintendo 64. Um, like in a way that like the NES and the Super NES and Famicom and Super Famicom were more like fun friendly things. The Nintendo 64 was the first time where it was like it was going to kick your teeth in with how cool it was. Yeah, definitely. And, and Ultra to me is part of that branding. All right, Mark. Uh, on to V. Uh, speaking of uh, marketing and what have you, uh, V for me is for VHSs from Nintendo Power. Um, so they sent out like videos that were promotional videos uh, to explain to um, readers what sorts of things they should be excited about. And there is uh, one VHS in particular, the one for Star Fox 64, um, that... Uh, has been like sitting dormant in the back of my memory. I must have watched this video 50 times. It's it's like a 10 minute long video. It's on YouTube. You should look it up because Mark, it is if if I were to I I I can't even I can't even explain how strange it is because it's basically a 10 minute long sketch where two dudes uh in uh one dude is wearing a Sony shirt, the other dude is wearing a Sega shirt and they kidnap Someone who works at Nintendo, um, who's wearing like a, a Star Fox flight suit, um, and they grill him for details about Star Fox. Star Fox being this, you know, cool new game that's coming out that you can't play on uh, PlayStation or uh, whatever Sega was doing at the time. Um, it's wild. It's it's a, a long sketch with like super broad performances. They end up kidnapping another guy who works at <laughs> Nintendo, um, and like. Some of the jokes are pretty good. <laughs> like I was, I was a little bit shocked watching it today. How solid this thing is. Um, but yeah, the, the the Nintendo and by extension Nintendo Power would just like make these videos um, as like this is the quintessential like oh yeah Nintendo is weird and they market their stuff in strange ways. Um, I can't imagine another company doing a ten minute long video um, that is you know eight minutes of it are uh, like two dudes pretending to deliver a pizza so they can kidnap someone from the Nintendo laboratory. That's amazing. That's, I didn't know that existed. It's That's cra- so cool. It's crazy stuff. It's also interesting to think, you know, like, uh, I don't know if, if Sony was doing it during the PlayStation era, but, you know, later in, like, the PlayStation 2 era and on the Xbox, 
you know, if you were subscribed to the official magazine, sometimes you would get demo discs that would have uh, demos of different games on them. But if Sony was doing that in the uh, original PlayStation era, like Nintendo did not have an equivalent that they could easily right, do because they right. weren't going to send game, you know, cartridges to everybody. Yeah. So, so the like, best they could do is like hire an improv group to <laughs> to make a short video. What about a weird game. like proto. Because when when we uh, for an episode a while ago we went back and watched some of like the early Nintendo directs. Yeah. And uh, this feels even more prototypical. You know, like. Yeah. Truly Neanderthal yes. Nintendo Direct. I mean, in some ways, it feels like the kind of thing that like Nintendo would have partnered with Funny or Die or something like you know, 15 years later to, uh-huh. to, to make this uh, internet-only video that gets you know uh, trashed for being like too corporate or whatever. Um, but yeah, just a, a a weird thing that I had. I wonder if my parents still have it. Like they kept a ton of VHS tapes. I never would have thrown it out. It's probably in my parents' basement right I've, now. I've got to check it out on YouTube. Yeah, you got to. So my V is for the voice recognition unit. This is my alternate V and why I uh, hesitated for a second. Yeah, so th- this is the um, like unit that came with Hey You Pikachu, which we had talked about a little bit earlier. Um, and like so many of these peripherals, it plugged into the back of mm-hmm. the Nintendo 64 controller and had like a little microphone. Which means the controller could neither save your information or rumble. That's right. That's right. Um, and there were like 20 or some odd phrases that you could use to interact and like give directions to Pikachu. If you've never seen gameplay footage of Hey You Pikachu. Horrifying. It is rough. Yeah. Pikachu is in rough shape. But the, you know, the, you could do things like there is like a... A game where Pikachu's like wearing a blindfold, um, basically like a pinata game, and you have to direct him to the right, like balloon or whatever, to knock down. And so it's just people, you know, saying like right, forward, back at like Pikachu, you know, trying to get this character to do. I I don't know that it was fun, but it was certainly. I mean, it's certainly interesting if nothing else uh and i don't think it worked particularly well like, i can't imagine that it did um so the the uh the vru was also compatible with um a japanese only uh like train game um but like this is another case where uh this thing worked with two games only one of them came to the states and that's it that was it another grand nintendo tradition it made me think of the um the we speak the yeah. game with animal yes. crossing city folk for uh, the Nintendo Wii, um, the, for for me the the VRU and uh, Hey You Pikachu just makes me think of the uh, the Dreamcast game Seaman, um, which is you know you raise like a little fish with a human face, um, and he responded to voice commands as well. Again with like a thing that plugged into the controller that had a microphone on it. But that game narrated by Leonard Nimoy. Uh, this game uh, just has a Pikachu <laughs> in it. So like. You choose. What do you what do you like? Do you like Leonard Nimoy or do you like Pikachu? I had a an alternate V, which is just vampire hunting, to talk about Castlevania sixty four, a game that I have just called Castlevania. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, we know this for sure because it's we not know on this your for sure. list. It's not on my list. Uh, Castlevania. I wrote it down uh-huh. as Castlevania sixty four and was like, "Is that the name of it?" And I looked it up and it's like, "No," and deleted it. <laughs> just Castlevania. Just Castlevania. A game I've never played, but that I don't know that it will come to the Nintendo sixty four Switch Online. But my I guess is no. It, but I hope it does because, well, actually, it's really funny. So. Um, on the Castlevania like fandom wiki, there's a section for critical response, but it was written by someone who clearly oh they have an axe likes this game oh the opposite they like this game because they editorialize and uh, I'm gonna read directly yeah, from yeah. it because I thought it was really funny. However, some claim that these negative impressions have come from people who only played a little of Castlevania 64. And there's no, like, notation or citation. Right, citation it's needed. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, however, many players also note that Castlevania improves dramatically in both graphics and level design as players progress. Um, defenders of the game also respond with the fact that Castlevania 64 was the first game that KCEK had ever programmed in 3D. They also speculate, citation needed, that the programmers were just trying to rush out for a holiday release. Oh my goodness. But I would like to play this game. I'm yeah. a big Castlevania fan. I like, you know, the Symphony of the Night style games, and that is really what Castlevania became after uh, Symphony of the Night was released. But I do miss just kind of like the more traditional platformers. And, you know, 
uh, barring the editor of the Castlevania fandom wiki, you know, it does have a reputation of being a, a rough game. Yeah, it, but I, it is. But I would like, but I would, I would like to play it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I, I think um, uh, Konami sees the value of re-releasing uh, their Castlevania games in collections. They've done it a, a couple times uh, in the last couple in the a couple times in the last couple years. Man, you know, it's a good thing we don't get paid to do this podcast. <laughs> well, you know what? It's true. It is true, though. Factually correct. A couple times in the last couple of years. Um, so I imagine we'll see it at some point, but I don't think it'll be uh, coming to the um, NSO. Mark, what's your W? My W is another peripheral, but one that was never released publicly, but was available for um, like developers and journalists. And that's the Wide Boy 64. This was mine as well, but I, I will choose another W. Okay, so it was created, like, developed by Intelligent Systems. Uh, it's a Which is wild, by the way. Yes. The Wide Boy 64, it's an adapter that is similar to the Super Game Boy, and so it'll play Game Boy games, but there was no, like, Super Game Boy equivalent for the Nintendo 64, the release to consumers. Like, That's you right. could not play uh, game, or game Boy games on... Your Nintendo. You could plug a Game Boy game into like certain peripherals in or in order to transfer. Right, your... but you couldn't you couldn't play directly yeah. from from those. Yeah. So uh, so there's two versions of the Wide Boy 64. One for the Game Boy and one for Game Boy Color. And uh, there was also one later for like Game Boy Advance game packs. But for the pr- gaming press, they used it to capture like nice screenshots of Game Boy games. Um, and then for developers, obviously, it was an easy, easier way to, you know, like debug and test Game Boy games. But um, it, I guess it was also used for final matches at the Pokemon League Summer Training Tour in oh, 1999. But you could purchase one directly for Nintendo for a cost of $1,400 back in uh, the late 90s. Um, why not release this? Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, why not have a Game Boy... Because they like had they had the Super Game type, Boy uh-huh. and the Game Boy Player just on a, a one generation earlier, one generation after. But I also, but going back to like why they did not have like a mainline Pokemon game on here, or they had no really like no pixel arty games yeah. at all. I just wonder if they did not want to associate the Nintendo sixty four with That's like a pretty that good sort point. of yeah. you know like the Nintendo sixty four was ultra. It was supposed to be the like far future generation right right so it could not be associated with the game boy yeah like that's that's for children this is for uh in, intense men also the nintendo 64 maybe was just not successful enough that they kind of Ooh. you know like what was they, they just backed away from it yeah. so they could get the gamecube out yeah that makes sense um so i i had originally also put the wide boy uh 64 on here uh we can pause for a second on there just to be like what a name what a name <laughs> so good wide boy <laughs> do you think do we're you like long haul truck in here <laughs> 10 four wide boy <laughs> um do you think that the reason it's called wide boy is because it took like gamecube games and widened them you uh, wait, Game Boy? Oh, games? sorry, Game Boy games. Uh, what? Uh, no, I, I, it does, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense because it also like tallens them. It's not called a tall boy, um, because that is a large beer. Um, no, Mark. So my my W, I gotta go back to Wave Race sixty four. Um, oh, what an incredible game! What a bizarre franchise to kind of come out of nowhere. Um, and like have a little bit of a run on uh, Game Boy Color, on Nintendo 64, and um, GameCube, uh, where you're just like racing around on jet skis. Um, I suppose jet skis were uh, part of the sort of like cultural vernacular at the end of the 90s. Um, but like, I don't know, do people talk about jet skis now? I th- not. It- I mean, the last time I remember hearing about one in culture was uh, in Loki, that Owen Wilson's character wanted to ride a jet ski. Right, which partly was a, you know, like, played for laughs because it's like a jet ski. Like, right. What a, like, interesting specific. Yeah. But no, it, like, I mean, jet skis still exist and they are very fun, but it is not like a cultural <laughs> phenomenon like it was in the 90s. Right. Where, like, jet skis were selling you a lifestyle right. in the 90s. Well, and and then, like, somehow Wave Race spins that into lifestyle slash competitive sport, <laughs> which is also kind of like a, uh, I don't know, like motorcycle water ballet. Does that make sense? That, like, you're doing handstands on these things and, like, flipping around. It's just the, the, the way that uh, this game, like, 
incorporates the physics of the water and uh, the way that you have to either like duck under obstacles under the water or like bounce off a wave just right to like take a turn uh, is very interesting and very cool. And it is like high tide and low tide in dynamic ways. So like the track is never the same as you're going through. Uh, Mark, I know you just recently described the game as looking like half butt. But the nice half. The nice half of the butt. Um, but yeah, it's th- this is a, I, I, had, I had this game uh, when it came out originally. And so I was so excited when it came to the uh, Nintendo Switch online. I, I like it for all the reasons that you mentioned. Also, the soundtrack is so good. Great soundtrack. I, I had the soundtrack playing while I was putting my ABCs oh, that's together to, you know, like really get in the mood. Of the Nintendo 64. I uh, love the soundtrack to that game. Um, it, it almost has like the proto Wii, uh, like uh, not Wii music, uh, Wii Sports uh, music. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the same like sort of thing as like Pilot Wings, like kind of this like yeah. contemporary, like light jazz type thing going for right, it. Right. The sort of like joyful jazz. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's very smooth. Very fun. Um, Mark, my ex... I am now summoning a game that you did refer to as totally looking like, but F-Zero X, um, the sequel to the um, uh, Super Nintendo F-Zero. Um, way more tracks, way more racers, uh, way more characters. Uh, same basic game. Uh, I've never been able to wrap my head around F-Zero X. Um, I, I know you played it for just like a little bit on the uh, Nintendo Switch Online um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, do, do you have any other like impressions of F-Zero X? F-Zero is just like, uh, um, it's such a, like, it's so difficult. It's too hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that, that's why I had a hard time getting into it because it's like, uh, it's really difficult mm-hmm. and it doesn't look amazing. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. No, I will agree. Um, I was just trying to figure out if it is the last Nintendo developed F Zero game. Oh, before Sega started doing uh, yeah, it. Yeah, but it but it's not. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. right. uh, my X is stop for, looking. Exactly, my X is for crossover, Ooh. and specifically, I want to talk about Super Smash Brothers. Okay, a franchise that we now take for granted as existing, but um, is kind of crazy that it happened. Yes. Because you're taking Nintendo characters from all these different franchises that should not interact with each other. But, you know, Sakurai came up with this kind of framing device of them being toys that are being played with, which is what allows. And they, I feel like they have dropped that. Um, oh, yeah, totally. From like the Nintendo after the Nintendo 64 game. But that was like it's an important part of it was like, how do we. I feel like that was sort of present in the Wii version, right? Because the, or at least that they kept like being turned back into. Like the, the, the little statues oh, uh-huh. that were toys. I, I, I don't know. I just, that physicality is still there. And then like Amiibo sort of play that, right, that game yeah. too. So notes of it are, are still there. But you, you're right that like the the hardcore conceit of it is gone. Well, and I liked that. I like, you know, like looking back on it, that that was an important thing for Nintendo was like, okay, how do we, like, we're fine with this happening, but... How does it make Tell sense? Me how. Tell right? me how. Like, yeah. why Why is it okay for Tell all... Tell me how. <laughs> all these different characters from different franchises to be interacting and fighting each other. Um, and, yeah, it's such a cool thing that has been such a big part of Nintendo. It truly blew up with Melee on the GameCube. But uh, I remember having a ton of fun with the original Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, well, and there's, uh, you know, there's... I'm not going to get the details of it right, but um, uh, before it had uh, Mario characters in there, it was just sort of like there, there were Nintendo characters in general. Um, they were working on this game with uh, sort of like generic looking like dudes. Um, and uh, like, I, I'm sure that would have been fine. Um, but like, you know, it, it, it's being able to staple all of these different IP onto it um, uh, turns it into something like very special and cool and something that I want to play. Yeah, it felt like a little transgressive in a fun way. Yeah, totally. Um, Pikachu was my main. Pikachu, I feel, is probably overpowered in the original uh, Super Smash Brothers and in following games, you know, was definitely nerfed. But um, yeah, I loved Pikachu. Could wreck people with Pikachu. Uh, yeah, the the original uh, version of Smash Brothers, which is like uh, non uh, Nintendo characters, was pitched by Masahiro Sakurai as Dragon King: The Fighting Game. 
So there you go. Uh, all right, where are we? Um, but we're on why. And my why is Yoshi's story. Mark, you'll be not surprised to discover that we have, again, picked the exact same game for, for our why. And, you know, uh, way back in the first year of the show, uh, episode 67, we had friend of the show Kelly Nugent on to, and to talk about Yoshi's story. But one of the reasons that I um, wanted to bring up Yoshi's story, because it's not a game that I played as a kid or that like is especially meaningful to me. But what I do think is interesting about it is that um, 2D platformers do not really exist on the Nintendo 64. Right. And so even taking, you know, like a game like Yoshi's Island and the sequel to it, Yoshi's Story, like very different types of games. You know, Yoshi's Island still has, even though it is not like technically a Mario platformer, I guess, the reverse. It is technically a Mario platformer, but doesn't necessarily play like one. But it has... In a lot of ways, it does, though, right? Like, it, it still taps into the, like, platforming challenge aspect of uh, Mario. Exactly. But, like, Yoshi's story kind of, like, gets rid of that. Wait, it's all about... To the curb. Go, like, collecting fruit, and mm-hmm. that's how you advance from levels. It's just, like, collecting enough fruit to fill the border of the screen. Right. And you want to collect the right fruits... I never really wrap my head around the mechanics of that game or how to succeed at it. And so it's just, it's a lot slower. It's a lot more methodical. It's much more like puzzle based. And I I felt the same way when a couple of months ago I tried to play, or I did play, um, Kirby's 64 or just no 64. Kirby 64. Oh, it is colon. 64. Yeah. The Crystal Shards. There you go. Um, because, because Kirby in general is more like approachable and is already slower it works okay in a Kirby game. I didn't love the Crystal Shards, but those are really like the only two examples I can think of of like 2D platformers yeah. on the Nintendo 64, which is, I understand why they did it. You know, 3D graphics were such an important selling point. Right. You know? This isn't a baby game. Exactly. Right. But I do think we're really missing that from. Uh, yeah, from the library. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Um, yeah, it's also just like it's it's crazy to me that as a sequel to Yoshi's Island, that like it loses all of the sort of edge of of, of Yoshi's Island, right? Like, um, or of yeah, of I'm I, I said what I meant. Um, that like the the challenge of just like getting from one space to the next just like isn't there. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just such a bizarre game. Um and I'm I'm happy that it's there, but it seems like in sequels uh in, in the Yoshi series they sort of like started to steer it back the other do- other way. And like Yo- the Yoshi franchise is always kind of in a weird place um where like there's some like platonic ideal that like no one can agree on uh what it is that makes a Yoshi game good. Um but uh but yeah, this this is one one of those one of those chapters in the greater Yoshi story. Uh, and I didn't mean to uh, make that pun there. Uh, Mark, what's your Z? My Z is for Zebus, oh, and the reason it's for Zebus, no Metroid, is because Metroid is notably absent mm-hmm. from the Nintendo sixty four, and I had never really spent the time to consider like why that is the case. And so when I was putting together. Um, this ABCs, I went looking, you know, why does, did Metroid not get a Nintendo 64 entry? And why can't it crawl? Uh, right. Uh, and so uh, in looking for it, there was a, an interview with series like producer and creator Yoshio Sakamoto in Games Magazine. Um, and so th- I'm just going to quote directly yeah. from the interview. Games asked, this apprehension over 3D gaming is that the reason there was never a Metroid 64? And Sakamoto responds, I was actually thinking about the possibility of making a Metroid game for Nintendo 64, but I felt that I shouldn't be the one making the game. When I held hmm. the Nintendo 64 controller in my hands, I just couldn't imagine how it sh- could be used to move Samus around. So for me, it was just too early to personally make a 3D Metroid at that time. Also, I know this isn't a direct answer to your question, but Nintendo at that time approached another company and asked them if they would make an N64 version of Metroid, and their response was that no, they could not. They turned it down, saying that unfortunately they didn't have the confidence to create a Nintendo 64 Metroid game that could compare favorably with Super Metroid. That's something I take as a compliment to what we achieved with Super Metroid. 
Huh. Yeah, I mean, the and the thing that's so incredible about that is no one is like, oh, yeah, just make another 2D Metroid game just with better graphics. Right. Yeah. It, it, kind of going back to that Yoshi story thing where it was like 2D gaming was just not was over. The yeah. All, all these games have to be different. Yeah. And it's amazing how frequently they did it and did it well. Right. That like. No, okay, Mario is here, but Mario's different. Mario has fundamentally changed. Zelda is is different. It will never be the same again. Um yeah, just uh it it that they couldn't just like make another 2D Zelda. Um even though like they probably could have and like you know, maybe it wouldn't have been exciting at the time. And I guess that's that's what it boils down to is that it, they had to be it had to be new at the I, time. Yeah, I also I I don't know enough about like the capabilities of the nintendo 64 like could it render pixel graphics if they wanted to or you know were they did they were they hemmed in by the the like yeah that's by a good the point. architecture that yeah. it needed to be polygons but i also think it's interesting that you know sakamoto here is saying i couldn't wrap my head around how to make a 3d metroid game and i don't and think never he ever did. has yeah you know like uh the rare game or the uh, Prime games were yeah. made by Retro Studios, and Sakamoto was not like a producer on those games. The next Metroid game with Sakamoto's involvement, I believe, was Other M, which was back to more of a traditional 2D style. And then um, the remake of Samus Returns and or and Return Dread. of Samus, yeah. and then Dread, which have all been in like that the traditional 2D 2D style. Yeah, yeah. It's just weird to think like how far uh, like games has come as like a, a business where um, and especially like that Nintendo has embraced the idea of like, oh, no, we can make another. Oh, yeah, we, we can do Link Between Worlds. Uh, that's just another 2D Zelda. We can just make that uh, or like Metroid Dread. Yeah, we can just make another 2D Metroid. It doesn't have to. We, we don't have to be embracing the newest thing in gameplay. And maybe that's because we've gotten to a point where like there is no like the new thing right now like there are many new things uh and many old things sort of existing all at once and they're all exciting yeah it, or they yeah, all have the potential to be exciting. it's like there was like this like split you know where like different paths of gaming yes. and then everything's kind of like converged back into one also as i was saying uh listing the games the sakamoto worked on with metroid i don't want to leave out um zero mission or or fusion or fusion right. which did release during the gamecube era but were 2d metroid games right well and yeah so i mean maybe that's part of it is that they just had a, a home for those kind of things on the handheld uh and now now we live in a world where the handheld is the uh the the home console so um yeah you, you got to put all those games out there man i hope nintendo does get back to a place where they are putting out more of that like uh lower investment uh you know not super cutting edge um stuff uh, that would have been on uh ds or game boy Advance. it does feel like a missed opportunity of the switch era that yeah. those two aren't living more like side by side yeah they they definitely should uh mark for my z i had zelda here um i although again i think we've talked a lot about both of the zelda games uh that that appeared on this uh on this platform but like just j trying to wrap your head around the legacy of the Nintendo 64 without those two Zelda games, um, the whole thing feels hollow, right? Like um, they are the single player. We talked already that there were not RPGs on this thing. Zelda always sort of skirts that line between like, is it an RPG? Is it an action game? Is it somehow an adventure game? Um, and like, it just had to fill, it had to totally fill the role of RPG on the system because no one else was doing it. Um, and it did it in a way that's like, you know, world-class, you know, um, there aren't games that there, there weren't games that, uh, told the story like either of them. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's Zelda is obviously an important game an important franchise on, on every console, um, on every Nintendo console, but I'd say, uh, outside of uh, the Switch's relationship to, uh, Breath of the Wild. Um, no other Nintendo hardware has had as close or as important of a relationship with Zelda as the Nintendo 64. I think that's so true. And I also think that the uh, unique circumstances of the Nintendo 64 are what made the this weird experiment 
called Majora's Mask possible. Yes. And that on any other hardware, like, I don't think it necessary it would have happened, but it was like, okay, Ocarina of Time was a big success. We, you have like 18 months to turn this thing around, right. you know? Um, and like, just go off and you kind of have like free reign to do whatever weird thing you want to do. Um, Mark, we're to the end of the alphabet now, and we have not really talked about Paper Mario. How did that happen? Oh, yeah. It's true. I mean, I love Paper Mario, and we're talking about RPG, talking about RPGs. We are talking about RPGs. Um, you know, Paper Mario was one of the few RPGs on the system. Uh, the first game, I played it last, uh, almost a year ago exactly, for when it was released on Nintendo Switch Online was super excited for Paper Mario because it's been a long time. It had been a long time since I played that first game. Um, it's great. Yeah. Holds up. Uh, like it is still fun. Uh, and I'm still delighted by the like tiny economy of that game where like, you know, you deal one damage or you deal. It's always oh, charging up. He's dealing three damage now. Uh, and uh, I don't know the, the, the control that you have over, um, uh, increasing your flower points, your attack power, or your hit points, um, is so. Is it attack power, or is that? I think it's. Uh, there's hit points, flower points, and a third thing. It's like badges. How many? Badges yeah, badges. You can, that's yeah. right. That's right. BP. So it's, um, everything is so. Uh, so uh, the smallest integer is so meaningful in that game, and I, I, I love that sort of thing. Um, all right, Mark. We have now completed the uh, Nintendo 64. ABCs, let's close this out. All right, and that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts or on whatever app you're listening to this on. We appreciate it tremendously. When you do, you can also share the show on Facebook or Twitter or any old place where sharing is allowed. If sharing isn't allowed, don't do it. Okay, like follow the rules. We appreciate that too. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Anthony DeLuca made our logo, and our theme music is provided by Apebetty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. For my co host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thank you for listening. Thank you.